Ladies and gentlemen and Corner Kick fam, welcome back. My name is Nathan Strauss. I am joined by a man who is shockingly not put up for sale by Barcelona this week. It's Caleb Rhodes. No, although I, I am a, a bit of a cash cow, I'm sure selling me would, would solve all of the, uh, the economic issues. But yeah, so Caleb, I think we may as well start there. We're, we'll do a little Champions League recap. No Nick today. It is final season. Nick's got uh, a little too much, uh, what's the word, stuff on his theatrical plate. But just the two of us, and there's been a lot going on this week. Let's start with Barcelona uh, in this Champions League recap, because for the first time in 17 years, Barcelona will not be going through to the knockout stages after being demolished by Bayern um, in what has become a sort of tri-monthly occasion. At this point, the match aside, Caleb, um, it has the lack of improvement under Xavi in the early days been concerning at all. I mean, I think I think that's a bit of a leading question, but to provide more context um, in what was functionally a final for the, I would say, medium term future of Barcelona as a club, Barcelona lost three nil once again to Bayern Munich, as you said in what is becoming a, a tri-monthly occurrence now. Um, we really should have probably sewn up the Champions League with a victory over Benfica, but couldn't get that done. And, you know, when you look at the Champions League campaign as a whole, and you see that we're a team that scored twice and conceded nine over six games, I'm not sure you would say that's a team that really deserves to go through at all. Um, and if there was a world where, you know, we got through by winning like 1-0 against Bayern, even a team with only three goals scored in six games is not a team you would expect to go very far. I'm not sure it's a matter of improvement under Xavi. I still think it's early days and, you know, he's out of uh, or he's missing several, I think, key players to the team, like Fati and Pedri um, in the midfield, too. And I think what's becoming clear, though, is an issue, um, is simply putting the ball in the back of the net. In our loss against Betis last weekend, um, I would argue we were the better team for most of the game and created the better chances. Uh, We didn't score and conceded one on the break. In general, in La Liga this year, We've missed more big chances than any other team in the league. And now, after this result with Jordi Alba, who, you know, albeit being a left back, is, I think, one of the most important pieces to our offense, and Memphis Depay, um, who's a bit out of form right now, but in general has been, you know, the most consistent offensive player we have. I think the uh, it could be a bit of a struggle uh, putting the ball in the back of the net um, as we enter the kind of holiday period uh, in Spain. And I think, you know, going off of that, there's talks uh, today that Barcelona have decided to transfer list a couple of players in their squad 
uh, including Serginho Dest, uh, Marc-Andre Ter Stegen, and uh, possibly uh, others, including Frankie de Jong, which I think is unlikely, but it's sort of been set, it's been stated before. And That's for uh, the spice. The Frankie yeah, de Jong is for the spice. Yeah. Right. But I sort of, I guess if you're committing to Xavi, which they obviously have, and understanding the financial situation of the club, like you kind of have to just tear it all down. And so you may as well start with, you know, uh, valuable pieces like Serginho Dest, who despite being valuable and young, is still pretty raw defensively. And that might even be an understatement. He's like he's like um, a blue stake, you know, defensively. Uh yeah. I understand why you'd want to sell him. I understand why Ter Stegen, you know, one of the most valuable goalies in the world in the prime of his career would probably be of interest to a number of clubs, perhaps Bayern Munich with Manuel Neuer coming to the end of his career, one would think. But I guess if you're going to commit to youth, Caleb, is it good that sort of the club is embracing this this all-in mentality? Yeah, so I think... You know, I don't buy all the names that have been mooted there. I think Dest is the most likely to go, considering he's had, all in all, a pretty poor season, I would say, and even ahead of this game against Bayern after the Betis game, there are reports that Xavi had earmarked him as a player that's going to need kind of like individual tactical training because he doesn't really seem to know where he's supposed to be at any point, um, which is, you know, not ideal. And then Ter Stegen and, and De Jong, I think, are more a reflection of sort of like public opinion polls almost um, in that people think that Ter Stegen often escapes a little bit of scrutiny, especially in these big losses against Bayern, um, because usually we have a total defensive collapse and there's not much he can do. Um, but I think people are increasingly getting concerned that he does seem to kind of let in goals. I mean, Leroy Sané's second goal for Bayern, or Leroy Sané who scored the second goal for Bayern yesterday. I think that was a, you know, a vicious shot. That was a really fast shot, but it also wasn't totally in the corner. And I think, you know, there's maybe some suggestion that Terstegen may have done or should have done better there. And then Frankie De Jong, I think, is a player who at times demonstrates that he is, I think, on his best day, a top five midfielder in the world but too often in the biggest games for Barcelona um, hasn't shown up entirely and I think that is almost captured a little bit by you know Thomas Muller's comments about Barcelona after the game which is basically he said at, at, a, at a technical level you know the Barcelona squad is is up to quality but at an intensity level and at a sort of competition competitive level it's not quite there. And there was another report today um, from ex-Barcelona player Junior Firpo, um, now of Leeds, uh, talking about, you know, the training practices at, at Barcelona, um, not only under Komen, but under, you know, Setien and others as well. And basically he said that, you know, it's, it's a bit of a difficult comparison to like Marcel Bielsa, who's so meticulous, but that like, you know, Barcelona players weren't watching footage of the other team um before games which is something you know you do in <laughs> for most sports as early as like high school um even and i think there is a sense that barcelona as a club in terms of their approach to sort of building the squad and training 
are a little lax compared to modern standards. And I think that is something that Chavi seems aware of and, and is trying to change. Yeah, and I think obviously he's going to be given the luxury of time. And fortunately for him, in terms of uh, uh, players who should be hungry to learn, the youth of this squad, uh, you know, all the way from, you know, the, the more experienced young players, if you will, of Gavi and Pedri and Fati when they come back to the sort of, uh, I, I don't know, what the, the Ilias Akomaches, the uh, Ezal Zuis. Yeah. Um, you know, they should, they should all be hungry to learn. Yes. Uh, well, Ilias, I, did you see that he got, he got a red card for Barcelona B this year? And then I found out that it was his third red card for Barcelona B this season. So I think mm. there's, I think there's some potential like attitude and conduct issues on his part, but sorry, continue. No, but I think at the end of the day, clearly committing to youth is the best way that you can go about it. And it's an easier, it's far easier to change a culture from within with La Masia products than it is to sort of look at Memphis Depay, for example, who has had some sort of like question marks about character, I guess, and sort of off field issues over the course of his career, or even, you know, a player who I wouldn't say is young anymore and Usman Dembele. Uh, like it's easier to change things with guys who are 17 and 18 and 19 than it is with the sort of 24 to 30 year old crop of players in this team. Yeah. So uh, it's by no means a lost cause and Barcelona should be able to be relatively competitive in the Europa League, depending on who they draw, but it's not going to be a cakewalk. Like, uh, no. so, I, I, like again, Barcelona just don't score. And with Depay out and with obviously like losing Aguero is sort of like, Again, it's like it's hard to criticize Barcelona for this because there's no way of Planning saying like right. There's no way of, of accounting for that. But there is a certain amount of me that's like, okay, well, Aguero has only been fit for what like 22 games no, out of right. a 38 game season, and so it's, yeah, it's not that drastic. And even even a player like Martin Braithwaite, uh, <laughs> you know, who could come back in the next couple of weeks, like I think he is an upgrade over Luke De Jong. And yes. so I don't know. It's it's. It's not a fair situation that Xavi has right now, but on the other hand, it's sort of representative of far bigger institutional flaws that we've sort of gone over ad nauseum. Yeah, and I, I think, you know, it is an interesting question going forward. Like, does Barcelona think, does Xavi think that they're more likely to get Champions League football through La Liga or through um, winning the Europa League? which maybe once we get the sort of Europa League ties and we do kind of a preview of the next round of European competition, we can go more into that. Um, but I think we should probably leave Barcelona there and we can kind of just briefly uh, touch on sort of each of the other groups and maybe mention a few upsets. In Group A, it was Manchester City going through in first, followed by PSG, RB Leipzig go down. In Group B, uh, Liverpool... Uh, become what the seventh team um, to ever win all six games in the group stage in pretty dominant fashion. Uh, but it was it was pretty much uh, you know unknown which of Atleti, Porto, and Milan would grab that second spot. For most of I think the game day, we thought it might be Milan. We thought it might be Porto. Atleti seemed most likely even to be going out, um, but it was. A clutch goal from Antoine Griezmann, who has four goals in the Champions League, I think, this year, that sends Atleti through. Meanwhile, Milan 
dumped out of Europe. Yeah, and I think it's sort of unfair to Porto this game because I've been pretty critical of Atleti this year because they play pretty bad football. <laughs> and this was another, this was just another another iteration of that where Porto dominated play. They had almost 70% possession. They sh- Had it not been for Jan Oblak, Porto would have won this game and been through, yeah. uh, I think. Oblak made five saves, including two or three saves that I think only he could make. Yeah. Uh, and eventually, even with Suarez going off due to injury and going down a man, um, you know, this was a crazy game. This was like the worst of the worst. It's exactly what you'd expect uh, in a game that featured... Pepe and you know Luis Suarez for a little like bit, like fourteen as well. minutes. <laughs> yeah, for fourteen minutes. So I don't know, three red cards, four goals, a late penalty. Um, I don't know, like nothing about this was particularly uh, was particularly aesthetic. Um, yep. But you know, Atleti ended up prevailing. But I-, I have to think that they are one of the weaker teams that qualifies. And if they draw a team, or if Ajax draw a team like Atleti, they will take them to town. So I don't know. It was, I guess they got the goals flowing here eventually, but again, a very weird group where the distribution of goals was the only positive team in goal, goal differential wise was the team in first place, just like Bayern in that Barcelona group. So, uh, and and, and good for Liverpool first English team to, uh, win all six group stage games. Uh, although, yeah. And then, uh, speaking of Ajax in group C, they topped the group, uh, with 20 goals for, five against, Seb Hilaire, 10 goals in the group stage. The only player other than Messi, Ronaldo, and maybe one other um, to do that. Nathan, I'll let you kind of talk about this Ajax team and whether you think it's better than that sort of venerated uh, 2019 squad. Yeah, I think it is better than that 2019 squad because that team had uh, didn't have a, a true out-and-out striker. You know, they were playing Dusan Tadic as this, like, inverted, I don't know, almost like a false nine, but it was a little further up the pitch than that. Um, I think Antony is probably the best player on this team in a weird way as well. And um, he really got his chance to shine in the sporting game with with Tadic out due to quote unquote injury, but it was actually just because um, they didn't really need to play him, having already secured the group. Um, but all in all, I think this Ajax team is deeper than that team. I think it's more experienced too. Like that that last Ajax team was led by Donny Van de Beek and Matthias De Ligt and Frankie De Jong, and now you've got you know at center attacking mid twenty nine year old Steven Bergheis. You've got 27-year-old Sebastian Hilaire and Dusan Tadic, who I believe is 31. Uh, sure, but... In sorry, his, 33. In his... it's, a, yeah. it's a more experienced team. I see. Uh, and so, um, even with Daly Blind taking over for Tagliafico at left back, and we'll talk more about them depending on their draw, yeah. um, because I think they have potentially go very far, but this Ajax team is very legit. Again, 6-0-0, they conceded five goals, two of which were to Porta, were to Sporting, rather, after rotating. So I don't know. I'd be, I'd be, they are the team that I would least like to draw if I'm Chelsea or PSG. Absolutely. And then Dortmund dropping down to Europa League, probably disappointing finish um, in, in a group where at least ahead of it, really any of these teams you felt might be able to go through. Besiktas were definitely the worst, but by no means on paper was everyone expecting Ajax to be 
you know, one of the top five teams in Europe uh, so far this year. In Group D, uh, Madrid continue to prove me at least wrong this year, putting in a very strong performance uh, to secure the group against Inter. Sheriff, kind of upstart, pseudo-police state club. Uh, get Europa League. I think that's probably the best they really could have expected. Um, although Adama Traore, one of the like 30 Adama Traores in professional soccer, with six goals, um, is, is tied with Cristiano Ronaldo uh, in the Champions League uh, score leaderboard. So there's that as a good story. Group E, we've already discussed. Bayern and Benfica go through. Group F, so today, this was the big news. We all thought that Atalanta were probably the best team in this division. They lost 3-2 to Villarreal, who book their ticket to the next round. Man U somehow finished on top. So I watched the Villarreal-Atalanta game today because it's, it was technically a reading day for me. Um, and so I had it on in the background while I was loosely studying. And I just think Atalanta are incapable of playing like a normal game of soccer. If there isn't a single <laughs> game that I've watched it in where I was like, yeah, this is definitely going to finish like 2-0. No. Um, they went behind in like, the third minute. It was they. It, it was a nice finish from, from Dan Juma, who's really been very good. Yes. Um, One of the signings finally, of the season, I think. Yeah. So I, I remember watching him at Bruges and thinking, oh, yeah, like he's going to do sick for Bournemouth. And he had some good returns there, but... Um, he didn't really look like he was growing into his his form, I guess. And he's been really good playing up top under under Emery. Uh, Gerard Moreno, again, is he's really good and he's very technical. I didn't realize this, but he was like yeah. busting out like outside the foot passes. Um, no, he's he's one of those players who's like sneaky, been kicking around like mid table clubs in La Liga for a while now, um, and has always been, you know other than the Spain international, like the the next top scoring Spanish player in the league. He just happened to play for like Espanol or something like that. But he is he is a very, very good player. You know, I'm glad he got on the Ballon d'Or shortlist and people are finally kind of taking notice of the 29-year-old. Yeah, so that was, uh, that was uh, they played really well. And, you know, Atalanta threw bodies forward and they got a couple goals back after falling down 3-0, but they needed a win. You know, Villarreal could have gone through with a draw. Etienne Capu had a really nice finish from a close angle um, to close out the first half. And it was just too little too late for La Dea. Um, but they should La be Dea. one of the favorites. Um, they should be one of the favorites in the Europa League. They're Absolutely. so fun to watch. I mean, they play really fun soccer. Yeah. Like, it's pure, they are chaotic good. Um, <laughs> to, they are chaotic good to, like, Granada's... Um, What's the word? Uh, uh, not uh, just pure evil. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was, it was a very entertaining game. And obviously, you know, United went through on top after playing basically a team of academy players um, against young boys who obviously beat them to open up the group. So I don't know. This is a weird group. It certainly yeah. had a, a lot of drama. It may have had the most drama of, of any of the groups, really, um, with all of those Ronaldo... You know, if Ronaldo didn't go, like, beast mode in the last, like, 10 seconds of every game, Atalanta would have gone through pretty easily here. Um, In Group G, which I think on paper may have been one of the more evenly balanced um, 
groups. The the big surprise, I think, was Sevilla going out to the Europa League. You know, there were some people joking that they did that on purpose. They they would, you know, uh, myself included. By the yes. way, I I also thought that they might have thrown. Um, yeah, hard 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 to know. You know, after Der Klassiker last weekend, there's lots of. Uh, you know (laughs) so true um true but so and then Lille who you know are reigning Ligue champions but have been rather mediocre I would say in their title defense top this group followed by uh RB Salzburg which you know of the two RBs in the Champions League you might not have predicted it would be you know the smaller yet older brother uh going (laughs) It's one of those situations, you know. Um, but yeah, they, they do it. And Wolfsburg were, were, were rather poor. And then finally, in Group H, it's one of the weirdest, I think, ends to a group stage we've seen. Chelsea, who had been dominant in this group, including beating Juventus last time out 4-0, have found themselves in a, a spot of poor form and in a heavily rotated team draw with Zenit St. Petersburg to finish second in the group, a result which, you know, Chelsea may come to rue when the, uh, the, the draw is made. Yeah, it, it's an interesting... Chelsea's form as a club right now isn't great. And by isn't great, I mean it's not great by their standards. But this team still should be winning. You had a, a, st- a front three of Mount, Werner, and Lukaku. They did have Reese James playing center defensive mid as one of those uh, one, yes. number sixes, which he played. Yeah, which he played at Wigan in the Championship a little bit. Yeah, um, but it was the first time that we've seen him play there for Chelsea. Um, and I don't know. All in all, Chelsea's back three looked really poor, and it was on a day where rumors were surfacing about Rudiger possibly going to Real Madrid for a fee yep. of around seventy million. And no, I think frankly, it's a free. I think it's a free. Oh, it's a free. Well, yeah, he's he's refusing to re-sign his his deal. Right. And if you're looking at that back three, um, you know, you see how valuable a player he is to their Absolutely. system. But uh yeah, I mean just Ross Barkley is just not Chelsea quality. Uh he was really bad. He had one of the worst games that I've seen. Um and I watched this game because it was the early game. Um and I didn't really feel like, you know, watching <laughs> Juve slowly asphyxiate Malmo. Yeah. Um but yeah, I mean, Chelsea, they're in a weird poor run of form, and, and this this draw really hurts them. I mean, the difference between finishing top and finishing second is is huge. Like, if they draw Bayern instead of drawing, I don't know, take your pick of, of instead of drawing Salzburg, that's a massive, a massive shift. So, I don't know. It's for the first time we've seen the a little bit of a faltering under Tuchel. Yeah, well, it's one of those situations, right, where they, they obviously can't get paired with English clubs. And English clubs topped a lot of these groups, Man U, Group F, um, Liverpool, Group B, City, Group A. And so they're left with the possibility of facing Ajax, Real Madrid, Bayern, or Lille. Right, and and of those four, the only really is Lille. objectively favorable one is Lille, right? Yeah. Um, so... It's 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 not a good, it's not great. Uh, it's not great. And, and for the record, I think Juve are one of the weaker teams to finish first in any group. Like, yeah. I, I wouldn't be afraid of uh, afraid of Juventus if, if I'm PSG, for example. 
or even Villarreal, right? Um, yeah, I think. Oh my God, can you imagine the anti-football on display in that game? <laughs> That'd be terrible. That's like they would rig the draw just to avoid that. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was a what a weird Champions League group stage. Like so much happened. There's just so yeah. much turmoil this year. I, um, I feel like this was one of the years where, I, you know, I feel like the state of the premier soccer sides and I, you know, I'm obviously a little biased about this is kind of shifting a little bit. Like you feel the ground shifting beneath you slightly. Um, and so I think that might explain the sort of weirdness on display. Um, but yeah, that is the champions league. We'll spare you uh, Europa league talk until, and your Euro conference league talk, which Brendan Rogers after Leicester were dumped out of the Europa league today said, Frankly, I don't even know what that competition is until Join the draws the are made and then Barcelona plays in one of those. And so I'll force you guys to talk about it. Nathan, you wanted to talk a little bit about Premier League. I assume, actually, I'll let you take it away. You wanted to talk Premier League. Yeah, I, I wanted to talk Premier League sort of in the abstract because uh, Spurs, they had their match today against Ren in the Europa Conference League postponed um, due to COVID issues at the club. It's still unclear if that's going to be made up or what the you know eventual um, solution to that is going to be. Spurs, if they do not win their last game, uh, will be out of the Europa Conference League, which is, um, yeah. Wait, I have a and, question for you. Sorry, as an Arsenal fan, who's, your team's not in Europe this year, um, would you rather not be in the Euro Conference League like you are or do what Spurs are basically doing right now, which is be in the Euro Conference League and get dumped out in the group stage. Oh, it's far better to not be in the Europa <laughs> Conference League than to be in, than to be there. I thought there's another question, which is as an Arsenal yeah. fan, do yeah. you want Spurs to be eliminated in the group stage or to have That's them true. finish second and just keep the keep having them play like crap Slovakian teams like in midweek? which I think is probably more preferable for like two or three more rounds. Like Spurs losing in the round of 16 is like almost as humiliating as them losing in the group stage. Um, But uh, point is Spurs have a number of COVID cases right now. Um, I believe it's around 10 players and a number of staff members all have COVID. And this isn't going to be a sort of diatribe about COVID itself because that's not really the point, but um, you know, Spurs, their match with Ren was postponed their match this weekend that was scheduled to be at 9 a.m. on Sunday against Brighton has also been postponed. Now, the official Premier League rule is that if you have 14 or more players available on your squad list, which doesn't include youth players, I believe, um, then you have to play the game. Um, Arsenal, in their opening match of the season, had over 10 players and staff missing due to COVID, including both senior strikers, the backup goalie, and a number of squad players. Uh, An 18, well, now 19-year-old Arthur Kwankwo, who had never played a Premier League minute or a senior minute, was our backup goalie that day. And Fuller and Balogun made his first Premier League start out of necessity. Mm -hmm. Arsenal requested through Mikel Arteta that that game get postponed because of COVID issues at the club. But... The Premier League, for whatever reason, did not let that happen. And while I'm glad that the league is postponing this game, 
you know, no one should want to have Spurs be playing with like academy players when there's been this, you know, tons of transition around their club because of health reasons. It's a little bit annoying on sort of sporting grounds that Arsenal were made to play down like all of those players um, because it was a Sky Sports game, because it was the season opener. And, you know, Spurs and Brighton, which isn't a televised game, you know, Sky isn't, you know, that game's not being televised. Uh, it's a little annoying that that game is being played or, or at a later date. And it goes back even further. Remember when Liverpool were at the Club World Cup and they had to play academy players or when Aston Villa had all those COVID outbreaks playing mm-hmm. Liverpool and they had to play like their U18s or the Carabao Cup when Spurs got a free pass because Leighton Orient forfeited due to COVID issues. So there's just zero consistency whatsoever in how these are these rules are being applied. And it's pretty frustrating to see it benefit like a direct rival, even if like the, the, the moral grounds are right. Yeah, no, I mean, it sucks when, when rules aren't applied the same way. And I think, you know, with the, with the new variant, that's as far as we know. New, it's Omicron. Sorry, keep going. Uh, yeah, uh, as far as we know, you know, it's, it's more infectious and it has at least some uh, vaccine escape. I imagine we're going to start seeing it pop up and it can reinfect people that have had COVID previously. I imagine we're going to start seeing sort of more COVID issues um, amongst teams again, and especially with the festive fixtures coming up in England. You know, if you're a team that has a bunch of people quarantined and need a game postponed, you're probably also playing 48 hours later. And so it's unlikely, right, that you'd be able to play that game either. And so I think I think a message, if it hasn't already been sent, it's going to be sent to all the clubs that basically they need to lock their players either in their room or they need to be on the training pitch and they can't really go anywhere else. Um, because unfortunately, I think we're we're going to get to the point where, you know, the viability of, of keeping this going is might start to teeter a little. I, I hope that's not the case, but right. I think extra concern will have to be, an extra care will have to be sort of taken um, in the next few weeks, especially. And of course, it's coming at the same time as, you know, unvaccinated Yashua Kimmich is out right. for, you know, I guess by the time when you count back to his diagnosis, it ends up being at the very least, you know, almost two months. And this is a player who I've advocated for winning Ballon d'Ors. And it's yes. a little, it was very frustrating on a sort of fan perspective to see that he wasn't vaccinated. Yep. Especially just because, like, in Germany, I would expect a bit more. Um, but I don't know. I, I sort of worry about what the, the long-term ramifications of this are. And that's why I'm sort of, like, willing to look past this. Because, like, obviously it's for the best that this game doesn't get played. Yeah. But and I, I, I don't know. There's just no way to, like, retroactively um, redo that Arsenal-Brighton game. and No. That, that's happened. That's right. Happened. So, um, yeah, and I, I think the Kimmich example, you know, is is important. Like, here's yeah, as you said, one of the top players in the world who foolishly has chosen not to get vaccinated. He has now missed, or yeah, he's now missed at least six games. And by the time he's back, once he's fully recovered, um, 
he will have missed eight Bundesliga games and two German international games. Right now, to my knowledge, he is not COVID positive, um, but he has some lung issues um, sort of as a result of the infection. And his teammate, uh, Chipa Moteng, who also wasn't vaccinated, um, has had some sort of secondary issues that have prevented him from returning to training too. So this is just to say, right, like get vaccinated, not only because it's the obvious thing to do, but also if you're a professional sports player, a highly infectious respiratory infection is the type of thing that could cause damage that will affect your playing career. And like have a little bit of uh, self-interest, at least on that front. Um, sorry, COVID rant over. No, it's, it's, it's very frustrating, especially because like there's also the whole athletes as role models thing and the sort of the, the contrast between how American sports leagues have treated COVID and how the, the international soccer scene has is pretty startling, um, especially when you consider just the, the overall dynamics of both of those and how basically in the NHL, for example, the unvaccinated players were pretty much outed and made to get the vaccine because, you know, you're traveling across borders and obviously like, you know, not every player affected by COVID lives in the Schengen zone, right? Like there, <laughs> there's, there, there, we, we, we've got a world, we've got AFCON coming up yep. in three not. weeks. Yeah, yeah. Or, or four weeks. Like I am, te- I would be terrified if I'm, you know, Sky Sports or if I'm, you know, the FA right now that something bad is going to happen like that. Because it seems like, again, this sort of commitment to laissez-faire, like, oh, you know, we can't force anyone to get the vaccine. We can just encourage it. Like, it, it's true at a sporting level, but that's also, like, bad. But the point is, like, I don't know. I'm hopeful that there can be some concrete policies that are applied going forward to help out future teams that get into the situation because we know that um, it will not be the last. And I sort of had a tangential thought where when the, the whole Spurs team came down with food poisoning after that dodgy lasagna um, you know, this is sort of like part of like Arsenal lore, how like in today's day and age, the game would just get postponed because we have a different perspective on how illness should be treated, um, especially yeah, when it comes you know to transmission. You're right. you're right. We shouldn't postpone. We should make them play. We want more flu games. Yeah, no, exactly. That's, who's, that's... <laughs> like who, who, who is going to step up and have the COVID game? Okay. I want to see Mohamed Salah addled by COVID scoring the winner for Egypt in the AFCON uh, championship. Right. And so you see how just like ridiculous this is because (laughs) it's something that could very easily have just been preempted if teams had instituted vaccine mandates. And it's annoying that they didn't. And it makes it harder to support a player like Granit Xhaka, for example, someone who isn't world-class like Kimmich. Um, But Point being, get vaccinated, um, and uh, as much as I want Spurs to lose and get relegated and, and fold, uh, they can't do that if they can't play. So I hope that, that they recover soon. Yeah. The thing is, you don't really want that, though. No, because right. we need it. I want them to finish, like, you need each other every it's, year. It's yin and no, yang. It's, it's very much yeah. yin and yang. It's twee yeah. and law. Yeah. Uh, when, one of us, when one of us gets removed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
it's tough. It's tough. But that that's symbiosis, my friend. That is uh, true. It's symbiosis that can occasionally verge on parasitic. But yes. Well, that was uh that was our our Champions League and COVID midweek discussion. We'll we'll hope to have a you know full booth next time we're out. Nathan, what games do we have to look forward to uh, this weekend? Uh, well, not Spurs Brighton, I'll tell you that much. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that's not really fair of me to say. Um, but uh, we have Arsenal Southampton and Liverpool Aston Villa, which are uh, Liverpool Villa is a game that's been tricky, tricky, excuse me, for the Reds in years past. Uh, not a whole lot of massive fixtures anywhere else. We do have the MLS final between Portland and NYCFC. Gotta say, uh, go Timber in that one. It's projected yeah. to be like 25 degrees with like sleet in Amazing. Portland. So Amazing. that's pure MLS for you right there. Yes. Um, did, you you got... that, uh, did you see that NYCFC yes. rejected an offer from Besiktas, I think, for Castellanos? Yes. I think he's too good for Besiktas. Yes. Um, but uh, the, I guess the biggest game of the weekend is probably the Madrid derby yep. um, on Sunday. Yep. where Atleti, who are 10 points behind Madrid with a game in hand, could make some serious ground back. You, Your Barcelona host, or rather visit uh, the Estadio El Sadar uh, to play Oasasuna, which one would hope would be a victory for Barcelona. But again, you truly never know. Uh, Lyon faces Lille in what uh. could be a bit of a banger. Uh, PSG Monaco in a game that might be a banger. And when we say banger, talking about the French League, we might mean like actual fireworks or yes. guns, um, yes. as we talked about earlier. You yes. never know. Uh, and that's pretty much it. It's a, it's a, it's a fairly weak uh, match week yeah. soccer-wise before the midweek fixtures come up um, this coming week, including the the inaugural uh, Diego Maradona Cup in uh, wherever ah. else we play. Is that, is that in Saudi Arabia? I think so. Between Barca and... and uh, 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 Boca River. Yes, yeah, Barca and Boca. Boca. Yeah, Boca. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's it's kind of a crap weekend in soccer. Not honestly, gonna lie, we're but... gonna lose that game. I'll I'll say it right. Like we are going to get destroyed. It's uh, too bad. It's too bad. It's not against River Plate, so you could get a look at uh, Manchester United's future manager in action. Ah, uh, yeah, but, uh, Marcelo Gallardo, and we we'll, we'll talk about that in the future because I think the Rangnick to him pathways is is pretty seamless. Yes, um, I agree. But that's that would be a more fun conversation to have with, with a three-man booth. But point yes. is, this weekend, there might not be a whole lot of high-quality soccer, but at least there's soccer, and for now, uh, I will take it. So, I've been Nathan Strauss. Caleb Reds. We will see you all next time. <laughs>